Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books Drunk? <laughs> I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book clip with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. Yeah. This month, I am so proud to say that we are reading the powerful and fast paced novel Infinite Country by Patricia Engel. Yes. Before we get into our book pick for this month, which has been noted by Esquire, O, Oprah, the magazine, L, GMA, and more as a most anticipated book of 2021, let's review what happened last week. Oh. We talked about how each of us have been deceived unfortunately, mm. when guilt sets in even though we are not in the wrong and those hopeful moments we've each had when we are awaiting some possibly exciting news or career-altering news. Mm-hmm. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Enough about the, <laughs> the recent past. As for our present, E, mm-hmm. want to gozar every second of this hora de felicidad, so dime, what are you ladies knocking back today? Ooh, I love that Espanol, Mariana. <laughs> well, today's cocktail is not a Ricardo Originale, but it's my Italian. Is that the same in Spanish? <laughs> <laughs> Original, almost. Okay, <laughs> close, close. But chosen for the very particular ingredient that is the backbone of this drink and is a Colombian liqueur. Yeah. Today's cocktail pairing is called Poncha which has a history of being made for fishermen to warn themselves in the cold seaside air. Kind of similarly to how Mauro and Elena are always finding themselves trying to keep their family warm, not in the Aww. seaside air, but it's a stretch, okay? It's a little bit of a stretch, <laughs> but the drink is delicious. Yes. <laughs> the very specific ingredient is one that I will let our Colombian mommy pronounce, Mariana. Aguardiente. That sounds so sexy. (laughs) This drink is super refreshing, as it should be, since the Colombian liqueur translates to water of life. But it also has that almost bitter and super strong bite from the anise flavoring. Mm, Very appropriate for the herring chapters that we read this week. While we're sipping away on our cocktails, what mocktail will you be knocking back, Mariana? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm excited about this one because we've mentioned this one before, and I had said I'd never tried it, Uh but it's a virgin grimosa. And remind our listeners, what is a grimosa? (laughs) So it's a grapefruit mimosa. But again, since I'm not drinking alcohol, I'm doing sparkling water instead of Prosecco. That sounds so amazing. Mm. But very refreshing. Anyway. Yum. I love a grimosa moment. (laughs) (laughs) Here to share the recipe for this poncha is our perfecto bartender. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you still sound Italian totally when you're it. I can't roll my R's y'all Ricardo Ricardo Ciao ladies welcome to the bar Hola How are you? Wonderful Perfect How are you? I'm fine thanks So the cocktail of today is called poncha, but Ooh. 
we're gonna make a variation on the poncha. The poncha is okay. originally from Portugal, uh, but we are gonna change it a little bit to make it more Colombian. Oh, by Mariana. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, we're gonna use aguardiente as a main spirit. Uh. Aguardiente is a generic term that uh, gives you an idea of how different this spirit is because the meaning is the same. So aguardiente is literally uh, burning water. Mm-hmm. So it's any spirit oh. uh, used with uh, made with uh, cane sugar. Uh, in this particular cocktail, we're going to use Colombian aguardiente. That of is Exactly. Very, <laughs> very similar to Italian Sambuca. It's just that it's way lower in ABV and uh, less sugary. So in the recipe that I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you the recipe for if you use aguardiente, and then I'm going to give you the variation if you don't find the Colombian aguardiente and you want to use Sambuca. Okay. So you're saying okay. that a Colombian aguardiente is less strong than Italian Sambuca? Oh, way less. It's 29. Really? It's 29 degrees in ABV. But it tastes so strong on its own. It tastes strong, but it's not. Interesting. It's deceiving. And uh, the reason is that, uh, two reasons. Water is cheaper than alcohol. Mm. (laughs) And uh, there's a taxation in Colombia for uh, any spirit above the 35 degrees in ABV. So being on 29 gives them the chance to actually have like better prices. Oh. That's the reason. So I don't want to use the same amount of sambuca that no. I do about what No, no. <laughs> Might be in some or trouble. Or then you're in trouble. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. So here's the recipe for a poncha with Colombian aguardiente. We're going to need two spoon, two, two teaspoon of uh, honey, two ounces and a half of aguardiente, an ounce of fresh squeezed lemon juice, a quarter of an ounce of sugar syrup, like simple syrup, uh, one ounce and a half of OJ and one ounce and a half of grapefruit juice. Shake. The good Tropicana stuff, right? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> Shake and strain over ice and you have your poncha. But if we're using Sambuca because our Colombian aguardiente is too difficult to find, uh, because uh, Sambuca is so rich in sugar, I recommend to use just one teaspoon of uh, honey, don't put the quarter of an ounce of sugar, Mm. and reduce from two ounces and a half to an ounce and a half. So it's going to be like a little shorter. If you want, you can top it with soda if you think that it's too short. Uh, But Sambuca is more syrupy as consistency. So uh, if we put too much Sambuca, it's going to be like very intense. Ah, gotcha. So like okay. the different, like Aguardiente is a, like cachaça in Brazil. It's an Aguardiente. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Poncha, this cocktail, uh, is the, it's been created in the Isle of Madeira, but this is kind of an, an immigrant's cocktail because it's the base of every other variation that you can find in South America. Mm. Like in Ecuador, you have uh, something made with cinnamon and it's called like canelazo or something like that. Uh, in mm. Brazil, you have caipirinha. Uh, mm-hmm. In Chile, aguardiente. Uh, in Chile, yeah. aguardiente is more similar to Italian grappa than Italian sambuca. So you can oh. see, and, and oh, aguardiente cool. is uh, anything that goes from 10 
of ABV 10% to 60%. So every culture, yeah, every region, every culture has its different type of aguardiente. And that's because it was originally created in, in Spain and Portugal. And then with the colonization of the Americas, everyone yeah, pretty much it came over. Yeah, and everyone changed it with what they found on the new the new country and the new places right, or right. the new taste uh, of the people that were around. If you go to, to Ecuador, probably every region in Ecuador has a different uh, aguardiente. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, which country, do you know which country is the Alki that has the 60% ABV? Ecuador, <laughs> Ecuador has a lot of uh, 60%. ABV. That's okay. where you're going next, Brandy. Uh, Mexico. <laughs> Mexico, too. Mexico, of too. Course the, well, of course. Of course. has a pretty high in ABV. Uh, Costa Rica. Costa Rica oh. had, a, had a program oh. to actually uh, protect the Aguardiente because they found there was this smuggler that were bringing inside the country like uh, counterfeit uh, Aguardiente that was like higher in ABV because it was made like illegally like a kind of a moonshine oh. situation oh. so every every country is different yeah we've got to protect <laughs> the integrity of the aguardiente exactly so by by <laughs> colombian aguardiente well said by <laughs> colombian aguardiente That's so enjoy it. a la vostra salute enjoy your poncha guys ah, gracias ricardo as always <laughs> such ciao. a pleasure bye ciao, bye ciao. all right women Salud. 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 Mm. 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 So we, at least on my end, I did substitute the aguadiente. It's oh, pretty good. <laughs> so, ca- so cautious. Mm, for Sambuca because oh. I couldn't find that ingredient. And... Um, but I, lo- I love licorice. I know it's a super particular Same. flavor. Oh, you do? I love, and with grapefruit also, amazing. It's a good combo. Yeah. I'm so proud of both of you. I mean, I know that that's, it's the, the you're supplementing. You're not supplementing. What's the word? Substituting. You're substituting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're substituting the aguardiente with sambuca. But just the idea that this is what we're drinking this week, it takes yeah. me back because this is what Aww. my family would drink pretty much at every gathering, especially oh, my really? my grandfather. This was his like it was a shot of aguardiente. It wasn't oh, wow. mixed with anything, but this this is how Colombians celebrate life. This Water is for life. Aww. Yeah, this yeah. is pretty much it. So it's. I love it. I love that you both are, oh, you know, venturing into so this world. Happy. I know. And yeah. I love that you, the only one that's not drinking it, that's actually drinking. already has a bottle. Oh, I have a bottle house. at home. Of course. <laughs> so only on special do. occasions does that come out because it's a very, it is an acquired taste. It's uh-huh. not, it's, it's very different from most spirits. Yeah, she's strong. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, I, and I also love that we're, that we're reading this book at a time when you're pregnant and you all yeah. you have your mom with you like it just yeah. feels like the perfect time for us to be reading this book which yeah, is super exciting it is yeah, yeah. It's perfect. so I can't I can't Perfecto. wait to hear all of the thoughts that you've had about it <laughs> but I want to get right into it so do it do it this week we meet Thalia a 15 year old Colombian girl a ward of the state for having poured hot oil over a man whom she witnessed murder an innocent kitten 
Having learned from her father that there is no hope for her release, she escapes the penitentiary and goes on the run, hoping to make it to America where her mother and her two other siblings live. We hear her parents' origin story, Mauro and Elena, who meet in Colombia when they were just Talia's age and who originally came to America with their baby on a short visa to earn some extra money to send back to Elena's mother, Perla. Life quickly becomes complicated when they overstay their visa and officially become ilegales, illegals. Mm. After several years of hiding and moving and enduring the many indignities and perils of being undocumented in this country, Mauro is arrested by the police when he is found having fallen asleep in his vehicle after a shift. As this week's chapters close out, Elena is hopeful and unaware that Mauro's arrest will result in his deportation, and Talia swats away the advances of a man she'd asked for help, disappearing into the night with nothing but his wallet, his phone, and the clothes on her back. Mm. Ooh, this book kicked off with a bang. Did it ever. I actually... I knew I was going to love this book from the very first line. Mm -hmm. It was her idea to tie up the nun. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, I (laughs) get to start off right in the middle of this action story, which Mm -hmm. is so much fun. And I wondered if your experience of these first couple of chapters was like mine, in that it sort of starts out feeling a bit like a fable or Mm -hmm. something, like a little innocent and fun, because the descriptions are so vivid and Mm -hmm. beautiful. There's something about it that felt a bit like a fairy tale to me, but then it quickly mm. becomes this harsh reality of a family trying to survive and having to make some really difficult decisions in order to survive. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I got from it. I feel that there's such rich descriptions. Oh like my even God. having, I'm telling you ladies and to our listeners out there, though I grew up in the United States but I am full-blown Colombian, like Colombian. My family yeah. is toda es Colombiana, you know? <laughs> but there is so much that I didn't know. And I love the associations that she makes and just all the references that she makes to the history of this yeah. country and all the turmoil that the country has gone through. And all yeah. the the cultural references and the the stereotypes, like all of that, it's just, it's mm. so wonderful. And she fits that in. It's so jam-packed. Yeah. But also with this, like the cover is this fable, but underneath it all is a true Mm. tale of a family really struggling to make things work. And I find that to be so beautiful and something that we that we all should be, you know, paying more close attention to because we really don't know everyone's story and why they end up in the positions that they end up in. So I think this is something that's like very timely but also Uh, believe very beautiful in in the same way. Like you could really relate to many aspects of this, of this um, Mm -hmm. novel. I'm so glad you mentioned the cover being so beautiful because as you were talking, I realized like the cover is beautiful. And that's sort of like the cover of our country, the cover of the American Uh, dream that, you know, gets sold to to people. (laughs) Exactly. But what's going on inside and underneath is a very different story. Yes. Yeah. 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 And I, I loved that line somewhere early on in the book. This country doesn't know it's dying, said Mauro. Mm. And Perla yeah. responds, it's not the country we it's not the country we want, but it's the country we deserve. Yes. Mm. And that was so hard because 
one of the big themes that I took away from this is, and, you know, they say it right off the bat, too, you know, that word home, what does that mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And when you look at both of these countries, the United States and Colombia, they are both um, in huge turmoil. And, you know, Colombia has its own big problems. And then for this to be set right before 9-11 and at the time of 9-11, I mean, it's like, which is the worse, the better of two evils. Right. That yeah, absolutely. duality is so hard. Yeah. Well, I'm just going to, because I think it's a, this is a perfect segue for my question. And yes, we're jumping around a little bit towards the tail end of what our theories yeah, are going to be of, go, of going forward with what happened with our lead characters. But I do want to know from both of you, I'm very curious that if either of you were in Elena's position, in her shoes... with a husband on the verge of deportation and finding yourself now as an undocumented immigrant on the run with three young children, would you still remain in a country that began to perceive you as part of the plague? Or would you have found your way back to your homeland, a place where the risk of attacks and loss was or were inevitable, where your freedom was a given, but more opportunities were not? Like, would you have followed your husband and not have taken your children with you? And also a follow-up question, why do you think Elena, in fact, remains knowing that she was so adamant about going back before? And does Talia end up with Mauro? And how? And why does Talia end up with Mauro back in Colombia? I know that's a lot thrown in at the beginning of this episode, but... Yeah, I feel like it's impossible for me to be able to answer this question because we're so privileged Mm. to never have to make a decision like like that. You know what I mean? But it seems to me like if your options are go home, possibly starve to death and end up in poverty or try to make a life in this country. And the worst that can happen is that you'll get caught and you'll get sent home to possibly starve to death and end up in poverty. So it seems like you may as well make a go of it. Mm. No, I mean, I don't have children, but I think I always think of my sisters in this situation. Mm. And of course, you always want the best for your family. You want them, you want the younger ones to have more than what you had always, I would think. And it's hard to imagine relegating them to a life of less without even trying for more. It's a roll of the dice for your life. So why not at least try? Mm. As for why Elena decides to stay, I think it's that. I think it's that she wants better for her kids. And at this point, two of her kids are born here. So I don't know if that helps her her own chances possibly of becoming a citizen. But at the very least, she doesn't want those kids to lose their citizenship and, and mm. lose out on those opportunities. As for why she ends up back in Colombia, is it possible that it's because with Mauro gone, Elena's going to have to work and she can't take care of a baby plus two other kids if she's trying to work. So she sends the baby back to be with her mother in hopes that she'll be able to get that baby back later. At least that baby's a citizen. And then I guess, you know, now Talia's 15, we know that that hasn't happened yet. She hasn't Mm. gone back to the States. But it's going to be hard on Elena being a single mom now with three kids with no documents (sighs) in this country. And no husband to help her. And no husband to help. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really tough question. And I have to, you know, agree with what you just said is – I guess, sadly, you know, we are so privileged that we 
it's um it's not hard to put myself in those shoes because I think sure. that's you know that's what we do for a living is we put ourselves mm-hmm. in other people's shoes no yeah. matter how different that may be but um this whole question of how you decide between where you're going to stay and what's best for your family is so hard for me to wrap my mind around and yeah. so hard for me to come up with what is the quote unquote best thing to do? Right. right. Um, or the quote unquote right thing to do. The right thing. Do. Yeah. Because if you take the kids out of the picture, I would have been like, oh no, of course I would stay there and I would just hope that I didn't get caught and I would and I would work and make as much money. But it's so much trickier once you have kids because the thing yeah. that I kept thinking about is yes, you can have a you can try to make a better life there in the US. And, um, you know, it's sad as I was going to say it's less dangerous, but I don't even know that that's true. Not Maybe not for them. And not yeah. for them for sure. But the thing that makes that so risky is that if both of the parents got deported, then what do the kids do? So that almost right. feels more right. risky because now the dad that has happened to him, what if that happened to Elena and then the kids are all on their own with, they don't know anyone else there. And one of those kids is undocumented also. Yeah. That to me feels way more dangerous. So that to me actually makes me feel like maybe I would take them back there because Mm. that, I think living in that fear of me being caught and them having to be all on their own in that country. Right with no way of contacting them is so terrifying to me. Yeah, it's so hard. This this whole situation made me think of – sorry, I'll answer your other questions next, Mariana. <laughs> no, no, no worries. But I don't know if either of you watch The Chef's Table or Chef's Table on Netflix. It's it's great. I love cooking shows in particular. But I watched one episode recently about this woman named Cristina Martinez from Mexico. And her whole episode is about how she's she's created this little restaurant for herself in South Philly selling barbacoa because she's perfected the recipe from her hometown. But she she is undocumented. And she had a daughter back in Mexico. And she was in an abusive relationship. <sighs> and she couldn't provide for her daughter the way that she needed to there and so she actually immigrated I guess can you say immigrated if you do it illegally she crossed the border from Mm -hmm. Mexico to the U.S. by foot in like a (gasps) very scary treacherous journey yeah people die yeah I mean it sounded terrifying it took days and now here she is in Philly with this very successful restaurant and is on wow. chef's table, but she's undocumented. And wow. she was in that situation that we read about with Elena and uh, Talia. And Elena, you know, when they're FaceTiming and she can see her house, you know, it was the oh, same yes. situation, that mother and daughter. And mm-hmm. and the only reason that this chef, this woman is in America is so that she can make enough money to send back to her daughter. To but she home. can't go back home because then she won't be able to get back in. So it's this, oh, that duality of like, what do you do for your family? Yeah. And to be separated, you know, that notion of you're doing Ugh. good for them, but you can't be together. I mean, it, right. it makes me so emotional. Yeah. Um, 
so to answer your your follow up question, this is a loaded question. All right, I'm. I here. know. I'm I am sorry. Here. This no, is no, a no, really no, no. loaded I'm one. Just, yeah. I'm still talking. Um, so I think why Elena remains, why she does stay adamant about staying this time when previously she wanted to go back. I think. I mean, I agree with Brandy. I, mm-hmm. you know, I think she. Um, you have to. You you want to have a. You want to make a better life for your kids, and it's obvious that she can do that here better than there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hadn't come up with a theory yet for why Talia ended up back in Colombia. I thought maybe she got deported, but then I don't think that maybe that makes any sense because then if she's trying to go back to the U.S., then I don't think that that would have been possible. Um, So I hadn't hadn't even thought about it yet. That's a fun question to think about. I bet Brandy's right. Brandy's theories are always right. Usually, uh, right. <laughs> I've been wildly off a couple of times. If you haven't listened to our Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo podcast episode, please see that. We can as refer a to that one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's really interesting what you're saying, Emma, about you know the idea of separating a family and how horrifically, like when I think about being separated from my family, that is that is horrific to me. Like these mm-hmm. kids who were separated at the border. Who may never see their parents again. Like, it's just, I get emotional even thinking about it. It's so sad. But I did think that it was interesting early on in the book, after Talia gets uh, arrested for, you know, pouring the hot oil over Mm -hmm. the man, they're running down the list of possible traumas from her Mm -hmm. past that could have led to her crime. Mm -hmm. And none of them seem to apply to her, though she notes she she told them her mother was abroad and sent her back to Colombia when she was a baby. But this particular family condition was so common, it couldn't possibly be considered a trauma. Mm-hmm. And that line really touched me. The idea that because something is so common, it can't be traumatic. Right. Mm. Because most deal with it. Because Supposedly. they deal with it, they get through, they survive. They survive. But that doesn't mean it's not trauma. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, God, that's so devastating. I missed that detail. All of this... it. There was so much that I was thinking throughout. Re- Actually, to our listeners, I listened to the audio portion of this book, which is mm. which is also a very different experience, knowing that there's so many facts that are thrown at you and so many descriptions, like I mentioned before, that are right. so rich. So there's a lot to kind of take in all at once. Mm. But because I had time to kind of digest and like really think back on experiences that I've heard from, from different family members, it really does come very close to home because I did have a family member that was deported. And this, and I don't want to get too much into the details of what exactly happened, but it's a very, it's a very sensitive subject, but it's also a very sad subject because of the laws that have been implemented and they're Mm. kind of, it's kind of like a generalized, everybody has to follow through with these laws. But when you think about like the difference between calling someone illegal versus undocumented, Mm, especially when, and again, this is my opinion. Some can agree. Some may not. But when you think of a family coming into this country with a visa, they have children that are born in this country So they are, they are American born. Mm -hmm. 
And because they don't have the resources or they don't have the education or they don't have money to find a lawyer, because some of these lawyers are preying on victims and then steal their money and are giving them false information. They unfortunately run out of time or don't have the education or the wherewithal to know exactly what to do. Yeah, they don't make it easy. No. Exactly. It's a very complicated, as I'm sure you know well, Emma. Uh, (laughs) Yes. It's a very complicated process. Yes. And then you are stuck and what do you do? And then you have, like, as both of you said, you have children. You have a family to look after. What do you do? How can you make a decision where you're basically between a rock and a hard place? Mm Because in this country, you are trying to survive just by running left and right because you're always going to have to be running yeah. And making money under the table and not, you know, just and trying to survive. And finding places to stay without documents. Like, how do you, I don't how, know how you do that. But then you go back to your homeland where you would hope that it was the, the country that you deserved. But what inevitably, inevitably you encounter is a life where you're also in fear of your life. Yeah. Because yeah. if you're not privileged in a country that has a lot of rich, rich resources – Or even if you are rich, because I've also had family members experience the other thing, then you're constantly in fear of like the guerrilla or the paramilitares Mm -hmm. like coming after you because you have money. So it's like, what, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. That notion of having to live in fear no matter where you are, but that the fear is different. You know, the fear is different in your homeland where everyone looks like you and yeah. and those are your people in your community but you have other reasons to fear versus being in the US and having to fear not just about people coming after you but people being suspicious based on just the color of your skin yeah oh my gosh and the yes. fact that i mean i don't need to go into this because we all are very you know exactly what i'm saying but that this is still such a fucking huge issue it is. now. Mm-hmm. It is that we yeah. still judge people based on the color of their skin, and and especially surrounding um, big events. You know, like nine eleven. Right. Mm-hmm. Anyone with darker skin that seems just being brown was yes. a crime. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then yeah. with coronavirus, you know, if you look Asian, yes. I mean, right. it's just disgusting. Exactly. Like how we 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 it's look at barbaric. people. It's, yeah. So it's, truly it's barbaric. like they're both terrible, but. Yeah, and which is exactly the same way as like labeling labeling someone as being illegal, though they're not criminals. Mm. You know, they've committed a civil offense, but it's not, but they haven't, yes, they've done something wrong because of the law, but it's not that they are murderers or rapists or like just generalizing, dehumanizing. Well, and she has that wonderful line that I thought was so profound that said, Dalia considered how people who do horrible things Mm. can be victims and how victims can be people who do horrible Horrible things. I know. I I would, ugh. Just what a complex, beautiful, horrible, horrific line. Yeah. The other thing that really like gets me going about this is we make it so hard for people that are quote unquote, again, I hate that word, illegal or immigrants to to stay here. But so many of those people are doing the the are jobs, doing jobs that other people exactly. don't want to do because they <laughs> have to do something to make money. And here exactly. we are, you know, like if you go to any restaurant, like the last restaurant Absolutely. I worked in, mm, 
eight, 75% of the staff yeah. are undocumented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how dare we, you know, how dare any of us, if you go out to eat, if you get anything serviced, right. any, if you go anywhere, I don't, you know, ugh, I'm going down. It's that also fascinating to me this myth of like the lazy, undocumented immigrant mm-hmm. who's ugh. stealing all of our resources, and yet at the same time they're stealing all of our jobs. It's like this very no, strange, like that. It makes no sense. I had so many friends that I worked with at the restaurant that haven't been home in years because they're too scared to go back. You know, they've yeah. had family members pass away. They can't go back for their funerals because they're scared they won't get back in. Yeah. It's oh, like, no. you know, and these people are working so hard just to make money to yeah. survive here. And part of me is like, why don't you just go back and be with your family? And they're like, because you can't make any money. I mean, even right. that, you know, they talked about that in this book. Mauro makes more in a week here than he did in mm-hmm. a month back home. Mm-hmm. Same with Ricardo. Ricardo mm-hmm. makes more in a week here than he did in a month back home in Italy. And wow. so you can see, you know, there is that fucked up. I'm not going to, this is not the land of the free. There's nothing free about this country. This mm-hmm. country is fucked. Mm-hmm. But you can figure out how to make enough money to live comfortably in a way that I know is hard in so many other countries. And so I understand that that is appealing because we have to survive. Right. And take care of our family. And the whole right. notion about making more money, I mean, the motivation is kind of to take that money back home to help the families yeah. back home that don't have enough of the resources to be able to make ends meet. So it's yeah. not it's not a malicious motive. It's really coming from a place of like, I just, I want something better for my family. Yeah, these chapters really like... They were rough. They were rough. They were, they were rough. rough. This whole topic just really gets me, it gets me so emotional. It's so frustrating. Yeah. I I found this line so admirable and so telling of Talia's character right off the bat. It said, she didn't want to be singled out, treated as an exception, if it meant putting the other girls down. This is when she first ends up at the penitentiary and they're like, <laughs> you know, maybe what you did was a crime. Maybe it wasn't like, who you know, who, who kind of knows? And she's like, no, no, I'm not better than them. I'm not worse than them. Like, I'm just like the other girls. Yeah. And I just got this sense that she seems to have been born really wise. There's yes. that wonderful mention of mm-hmm. her even as a baby, seeming to have an understanding of the situation when the family is getting evicted from Madame and Mr.'s mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. And then she decides to stay with her grandmother rather than go back to America with her mom because she understands that her grandmother won't survive without, without her. Without her. Mm-hmm. And then also the incredible, I was really impressed, the incredible wisdom that comes with that moment when the French man, mm-hmm. who is supposedly trying to help her, mm-hmm. gets into bed with her and starts trying some shit. And she says, that's enough. <laughs> I was like, oh! And she's 15. And she's, she's 15. 15 years old. I don't think I would have had the balls to, to do that. Yeah. And she just, she she seems a lot older in some respects than her 15 years. Probably because she's been forced to grow up so much faster. That's it. I think that's right. Everything she's been through. She has, she's had to experience life and struggle. And I think with struggle comes a lot of maturity. 
because oh, you th- yeah. see things that most privileged people don't. Yeah. Right. Yeah, she's feisty. I really like her character. Yeah, she's awesome. It's interesting, too, because there does seem to be some sense of her that doesn't quite recognize what she's capable of yet maybe like she does mention a few times how at when she was at the penitentiary she got roughed up one time for not telling the girls what she did so some of the bigger girls beat her up until she owned up to it um she mentions that a couple of times how like she's tough but some of the bigger girls at the penitentiary were tougher Mm -hmm. so she just she seems very humble and to have an understanding of her place Mm. although she very quickly seems to take charge when she needs to (laughs) and get done what she needs done to get where she needs to get. Well, since we're talking about her, I want to go back to where the book started with that crazy moment with the don't fuck with cats situation. Y'all have seen that movie, right? Yeah. The documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats. I was like, here you go. (gasps) This is why you don't fuck with cats. (laughs) Yep. Um... I really felt that, but I was wondering in that moment if either of you ever had a moment like she did with that guy in the oil. Like, I I know I can't imagine either of you doing anything to that extreme because I know the two of you and I don't know that you could ever get that heated, but maybe I'm wrong. Mariana's about to have a baby, so. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see what comes out. She's going to know soon. But it did get me thinking, like, if either of you have had a moment where you were so overcome with rage that you pulled something so out of character or on autopilot. um, Yeah, again, maybe not to that extreme, but have you, have either of you had a moment where you were like, oh, yeah, I I recognize that? Not Physically, out of, there was a lot of rage coming from what I was verbalizing. Uh-huh. <laughs> there was a lot of like um, pent up aggression that was coming <laughs> out. Um, I, it's hard because I don't want to relate this to that, but this was the instance that I immediately thought of when I was in uh, my dance company for many years. I, I was very much in a way, bullied by one of the dancers that was in the company with me. Mm. Um, I felt like I was living hell on a daily basis, trying to, like, make it in one of my dream jobs, but also trying to survive because of all, like, the anxiety that came with being a colleague of this individual. And so I would face like this person, this individual talking behind my back, constantly spreading rumors about me. And we were a very small company. And even I I knew for a fact that she was, the director loved her very much. So she would say things to kind of either belittle me or kind of stunt my growth in the company because it was happening so fast. Mm. So it was just, it, it was a very... It was a very intense situation. There was one point where I I was pretty much set as her understudy for many roles because of our stature and also because of our ability. So I always kind of trotted lightly. Yeah, there was sure. there was that. There was a sense of competitiveness and jealousy that was coming from her and that I yeah. would eventually like surpass her or like her 
her caliber in the company, mm. but she had to deal with it because at the same time she was in a Broadway show while she was rehearsing with our company. So she wasn't there. So I had to kind of take her place. Mm. But because I would learn a lot of the material when she wasn't there, I would then have to teach her a lot of the things that were taught on me or my body was used to create this new work. Mm. Enough was enough when one day she just didn't want to deal with it anymore. She didn't want to listen to me. She was like kind of basically throwing a hissy fit and in front of the whole company, I started yelling her and telling her like how she was treating me. And this is something I've never, because I, you both know that I really hate confrontation yeah. and actually having to do that in front of everyone was a lot, but it was yeah. just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't deal with anything. You had had enough. Yeah. I had had enough. Once that kind of like verbal altercation happened, we went on to do another piece that dealt with water, she ended up slipping and falling. And because of her embarrassment of that, and because of everything that had happened, she basically like got up and left and (gasps) didn't come back for about like three days to rehearsal because she was done. She was, I mean, it was kind of, not to say that karma's a bitch, but karma's kind of like a bitch. Yeah, but karma's a bitch. (laughs) She was like, there was nothing else that she could do. And she didn't get hurt or anything. But it was just, it was a very interesting how... The embarrassment of it all really quickly got to her and she was she was like, okay, I might have to rethink things. But I I had to kind of let it all out for yourself. Yes, seriously. I felt I felt good about it, but it's something that was definitely out of character. But I just had enough. Yeah. 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 Gotta protect yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and stand up for yourself. Yeah. People walk all over you. Um, yeah, I've never had a moment with that kind of violence. I've never poured oil poured on anybody. Oil. <laughs> uh, yeah, not boiling hot oil. Uh, but I was once working at a restaurant as a server where the head chef was an absolute asshole, but only to me, not to any of the other servers, not to any of the bussers, like anybody else on the staff. He was, he was fun and a friendly guy, but to me, he was just kind of always a jerk. And he had been appropriate. He had been inappropriate with me so many different times, yeah. making just little comments or you know, kind of sexual harassment stuff that had gotten oh, really, really weird. Yeah, uh, that at one point I told him that if it happened again, I was just going to walk out on the shift. If you know, if it happened one more time, I said I'm, I'm, I'm just going to leave. Um, and at the time, I had been doing a play. That I loved. I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. It was one of my favorite theatrical experiences. And I did appear topless in the play. Mm -hmm. Oh, you've told us this story. Somebody from the restaurant who had kind of a crush on me came to see the play, obviously saw me topless, obviously ran back and told all of the regulars at the restaurant what he had seen. And so one day in front of all of the customers, this head chef asshole, actually also in front of his own fiance, yells across the restaurant to me, well, at least George hasn't seen me naked in front of everyone. I was I was so embarrassed and couldn't believe the story. I remember this. I just couldn't believe it. And I'm getting mad thinking about it again. I know. (laughs) I was stunned. I was so stunned that I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything thankfully one of the other regulars who is a lawyer commented to him like dude you better because a hush fell over the restaurant sure. after he said that 
And this oh. lawyer commented to him, like, dude, you better watch it or you're going to get sued. Yeah. And things just kind of moved on. The very, I think it was the very next week, he said something else again to me. And I was still boiling from that moment that I turned to him and without thinking in front of customers, in front of staff, in front of everybody, I just said, you are such a piece of shit. And that is not something I would ever say to, he was, he was my boss. Sure. Oh, and I was so angry him. and he got, he was, he was a little embarrassed, but he was like, you can't talk to me like that. And I was like, I'm walking out right now. Like I'm going to, I'm quitting right now. <laughs> um, and I walked out and I left and the owner called me later that night and asked me to stay for another two weeks. And I said, I'll stay for two weeks. I'll give you two weeks notice, but I don't ever want to be alone in this restaurant with that man. Like if you are here, I will be here for my shift. If you are not here, I will not be here for my shift. Good for and you. And he did it. He showed up when I was there to work. Oh, and then my I left. God. And then you left. But I'm also kind of mad that he like asked you to come back knowing that, you know? Well, he loved me. I had a wonderful relationship with that owner. He was there all the time. I loved that restaurant. It was a little weird at times, but he had really built a family there. And I felt like a member of that family, except for this asshole for chef who, who who later became a co-owner of the place. So there was no way I could have stayed there. But I think he was hoping that I would stay for two weeks and then just stay, right? You know what I mean? And then not right. leave. Um, and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't want to leave him in a lurch. I loved him, but this other but this guy, guy was just a dick. Yeah. The crazy thing about that moment is that I, I could totally relate to this moment with the cat with her because I wasn't even thinking. It yeah. was like I momentarily blacked out and yeah. was just like, "Fuck you, yeah, <laughs> dude, yeah, yeah." What about you, Emma? Oh, I was going to say similarly, like the the thing that I'm thinking of, it was I also just kind of like blacked out and it just like, yeah, up, like from you my snapped. like groin, like mm-hmm. up through my body and like out of my mouth. I was at a protest, a, um, a Trump protest in 2016, and we were standing like outside of Trump Tower. It was like, a, you know, mm. a bunch of us. We had done the march and then that's where we had ended up and we were in a big group. And I was with my friend. Uh, my female friend and some asshole wanted to like barge through the barricades to like you know run through to the front of the of Trump Tower but there were tons of police officers around and so everyone was like sir you can't barge through like stop just trying to like keep him at bay and my friend my female friend said something like well you know, you could do it because you're a straight white male. Mm. She said something, something to that effect of like, you know, whatever you want because you're a straight white male. So something sassy where I was like, I loved her for that. He turned to her and called her the C word. Oh, that's bold. Holy shit. And yeah, it was like this. This, like, fiery flame from, like, deep in my depths, like, just came up, like, through my core and, like, out of my esophagus. And I it just screamed at him. And I was like, you need to get the fuck out of here. Like, you don't talk to anyone that way. You don't talk to a woman that way. You are unwanted. I just kept spewing, you know, like, we're all supposed to be in this together. We are protesting <laughs> 
together and you're you're like a sickness and you're a, you're a piece of shit like just spewing all these things you know like how were you wearing you? your nasty women's t-shirt <laughs> while you were doing <laughs> maybe possibly <laughs> but i don't think i needed to wear anything for this guy to right. understand like you don't fuck with yeah, my you friends don't fuck you don't with her. you know but then it turned in but he actually the funny thing was you know he was like this tall bigger guy and the funny thing was i'm screaming at him and he actually like stopped and and like took it in like he was wow letting me scream at him and he was just like watching me and kind of nodding and and Instead of trying to fight me back, he I really felt like I was actually getting through to him. Did he say anything? Well, eventually, I think I actually, after the rage came out, then I started to get emotional, I think, maybe because my body was kind of in shock that I had, I normally, you know, Done never that. make a yeah, scene like that. Right. And so then it turned into this, you know, we're supposed to be in this together and, and, you're you're um you're fighting against everything that we're here for which is unity and power of the people yeah. and and you're you're going against that and how dare you and so i started to get like a little emotional and and i was like just just go i was like you just shouldn't be here and he was like okay and he left wow so i thought Maybe I'm actually, you know, I maybe, think you might have gotten got through, through to him. To him. <laughs> yeah. Wow. wow. This is actually kind what of What a jerk though. Hopefully he learned from that moment. Probably not, but at if least he in listened, that moment he left. He did. Yeah, he yeah, like right. he took it in. He let me scream at him. Wow. So See, and really that good. says something when they leave you. When they leave because they just can't yeah. confront that situation anymore, they don't it's fight like back. exactly. Yeah. Then they know that there is some truth they're, to they're that. They're wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I mean, like, why would you show up at a Trump protest if you're going to be that guy calling a if woman you're gonna a, be a C word? Yeah, like, yeah. that's not what this is. No, right. Don't fight no. your own people. Don't become the other side. Exactly. When you're fighting the other side, yeah, yeah. ridiculous. Well, I had a question off of this question that I wanted to ask you, too, because I also I just felt I didn't see this moment with the cat coming. And yeah, I mean, I think she was completely taken aback when it happened. And I felt all her friends were too. everybody around her. Yeah, I felt that same emotion. This writer so incredible because Mm -hmm. I was just so shocked Mm -hmm. at what had just happened and I felt her rage mm-hmm. as she was becoming enraged. Yeah. Um and I just few things enrage me more than cruelty to animals. Mm. And I could see myself physically fucking hurting someone for causing cruel, inhumane suffering to an animal. That is mm. so barbaric I can't even understand it. Mm-hmm. Um and so I wondered, what is your lady's hot button issue? What do you see moving you to violence, like mm-hmm. real violence, if you witnessed it? Several things. I think I got yeah. fire inside of me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, similarly to you, violence to animals. Like if I saw anyone actually – and I actually have spoken up before. I saw someone doing something like um, pulling a dog and I was like, hey, hey, hey. I was like – they they were not taking care of this dog well. You know, just, I would, like, walk past them on the sidewalk. And I, I I do think I said something to the effect of, hey, hey, like, calm down. Like, cool it, you know. Um, 
it wasn't violence, but it, it was not something I enjoyed seeing. But I right. think the thing, like my real hot button issue is abuse of children. Mm. Uh, and abuse can, doesn't have mean to many just things. mean, yeah, it doesn't have <sighs> yeah. to just mean physical abuse. Right. But um, I really have a hard time watching yeah. children get tossed around. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm. I mean, just like animals, they're so helpless. Exactly. Yeah. It's just so unfair. And oh. and they don't ask to be here. They don't no. ask to be exposed to no. your asshole nature. Like, <laughs> it's Yeah, senseless. that for me, I think I could kill someone over that. Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. And I can totally see being cruel against animals, just the vulnerable in general. I think that's just those that can't fight fend for themselves and can't fight mm-hmm. on their own. Yeah. Um, for me, there are a few things as well, like Emma. But I think immediately what I think of is if my family were to be hurt in any which way. And I'm talking about like my mom, my dad, my husband, now my waffles now your baby. and my baby yeah. girl. I think that that maternal instinct is really kicking in and it has been kicking in for like the past couple of weeks or so that I can really see, find myself being so protective and being that mama bear Mm. that if anything were to come near me or abuse me in some form, me carrying my child, of course, or if this is my future baby or with my, my, the same with my parents and my husband, but reading this book has really brought, has really hit a button with the, Mm. how the generalizations and how people can dehumanize individuals because of the stereotypes or because they don't, they just talk out of their ass instead of really thinking through of what is really happening. Mm. That to me could lead me to get really Mm-hmm. <laughs> feisty yeah. and really to the point I don't know if I would ever go to the point of violence but it gets to a point that like I need to speak up for these 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 people and speak against those that just don't understand mm-hmm. yeah the struggle like it's really hard for me to not for for individuals to mis- mistreat others without any rhyme or reason just because yeah. or just because they have heard something or they're making assumptions or because the color of a person's skin or where they come from. Like, that's just not – it's not right. Yeah, 100%. When I think you just said the word, you know, people that don't understand, I think so much of it comes from ignorance. Exactly. And, and fear and lack of education. Yep. Yes. And I think, like, if we're really going to take all of the huge themes of this and and – and really zoom out. I think it's just educating people that there are people that don't live like we do. There mm-hmm. are other mm-hmm. places, you know, and I think a lot of it sadly is people that that have never traveled mm-hmm. either because they don't have the means to or they don't want to. Mm-hmm. But to not expose yourself to other cultures and to people that are not like you, I think is one of the biggest problems that we have in this country. Yeah. Yeah. Lack of empathy. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, and like you, this is really kind of changing gear a little bit and going back to something that we touched on earlier, but that it's so interesting how you can how you can take a terrible, horrible situation and kind of like 
look at it through a different lens mm-hmm. and feel such a different way. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm thinking back to what when you mentioned, Brandy, that quote, people who do horrible things can be victims. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe actually I have talked about this in the podcast before, but that made me think of this gentleman back in Richmond, Virginia. There was like a terrible murder of a family. Mm-hmm. Did I talk about this already? I do recall. I think so. And then I like researched the guy who was the murderer and mm-hmm. he had had a terrible mm-hmm. upbringing. That's and exactly so right. all of a sudden I went from looking at this man as a monster to feeling really bad that he had had the upbringing mm-hmm. that he had. In some ways he's a victim too. That had led him to do yeah. – for sure he was a victim. A victim of circumstance, yeah. Yeah. Which led to terrible things that were not – absolutely not warranted. But it's so fascinating yeah. how you can kind of look at the situation differently. Right. And and a lot of times it does come from how you grew up and what you've been taught even though you're not necessarily an ignorant person, but it's the only thing that you've been exposed to, like saying if you've never left the country or if you've only been surrounded by the same types of people. So anything that's foreign to you or anything that's not what you've been accustomed to seems strange to you. Mm -hmm. And rather than understanding or kind of seeing what that means or what that is, you just kind of put the blinders on. Mm -hmm. You're in a bubble. You're in a bubble. And then lack of compassion and empathy. To you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then you talk out of your ass again and start making generalizations or creating stereotypes because you don't know any better. But it shouldn't be right. the case. Mm. Right. Kind of on the flip side, reading these chapters and seeing how true Patricia's perspective, how real mm-hmm. Patricia's perspective is of Colombia and of Colombians in general. There's a lot of things that I've kind of brought up in the past of in the podcast, making myself the generalization of like talking about Colombians as a whole, but at least coming from a perspective of what I've experienced. But the notion of machismo, the notion yes. of um, oh, yeah. the, these traditions, the male versus the female dynamic in a family household and also in society. Mm-hmm is very true the way she writes it is exactly what it is and what it still is today Mm -hmm. and you know perla being kind of like the the matriarch the matriarch matriarch. Matriarch of the family but she does have all these notions of how things should run and yes she does say things uh she does say something like really beautiful as to, as to saying real love was proven only by endurance. Uh-huh. That is beautiful. Yes. But what does she mean by that? Exactly. Is it that Elena should stick with her husband as opposed yeah. to sticking with her children? It means you always stay. Yeah. No matter what. No the matter situation. what the situation is. But you could also then see it on the reverse being like endurance could be. I'm going to fight for my family from a distance. I still love you, but this is what is best as a whole. Uh, Oh, interesting. Yeah. Sort of off of that, I wrote down this quote, which was, Only women knew the strength it took to love men through their evolution to who they thought they were supposed to be. (laughs) I love that. And it kind of, it's beautiful, but it also kind of pissed me off a little bit. And it is that sense of like, I don't want to say an outdated culture, but like a more old world. Like I have, I have, you know, Mexican family members who still, it's that very machismo, like women's threshold for certain things is up here. 
and a man's threshold is down here and that's okay. Like that's just the way it is. And it's like, mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And also, you know, women stay in bad relationships with men because they can see what could be on the other side. Right. Absolutely. And how long do you let that go on for? Mm-hmm. And is that You'll only know if you endure, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And I have. <laughs> I think we've both been down that road. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think that Mauro's drinking is just another example of exactly what we've been talking about. You know what I mean? He drinks because he can't handle the situation that he's in. And yeah. yet... Elena is expected to handle the situation, you know, all of the uncertainty and everything that they're in. And she doesn't drink. And what really got me about that is that he promises a couple of times in these chapters that we've read that he's done. He's going to quit. God has spoken to him. He's never going to drink again. And then he relapses. Mm -hmm. And it's sort of another thing like that I've certainly seen like in in Mexican culture where like. That's just kind of okay. And like you stick with it and hopefully it doesn't become a bigger problem. And if it does, it does. And you stay and you keep working through it and work it out. Yeah. And along with that, in for Colombians, even though we like to talk about a lot of stuff and get into everybody's business when it comes to terms for actually getting help from an outsider, mm-hmm. like when we talk about therapy or anything like that, that could really yeah. help him push forward and maybe not relapse. That's a big no-no. And you see that with him when he's got his back. She makes very specific mention of his back being turned to her a couple of times. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's that's symbolic of that shutdown. Mm -hmm. He's not open with her. He's not sharing with her. His feelings, he keeps everything in tight, very close, all of his worry, all of his everything he doesn't know how to share it and that's why he drinks. Mm -hmm. But then of course, obviously the bigger issue is like, even if he was a man who would go to therapy, they cannot afford therapy. No. How are they going to get therapy? Yeah. Yeah. It seems like they really are just figuring things out day by day. You really can only just go day by day. But I will say like they're, their pivot is, you know, they've been faced with so many hardships once they land there between being kicked out of where they're staying, um, their Several jobs. Times they I have mean, to, so yeah. many things, but they're, they're they so their good at adjusting. Yeah. Just like doing I what mean, they have to. They have to be. Yeah. Yeah. It brings me back to that quote about trauma. You know, it's not trauma maybe because it's common. It's so common. They get through it. They survive it. They're but survivors. that doesn't mean it's not trauma. No. <sighs> and who knows if they ever will actually deal with what has happened because they don't have the time, the energy, or the, the resources time. to actually cope with what's going on. They have to just yeah. keep moving forward and they can, can't look back. Right. Because decisions have to be made very quickly. I mean, I just can you imagine being in that in that position of just like at any given point in time, they can find you and your life is over. Or at any given at, at any given time, 
you could come home and the people you're, you know, renting your room from could say, you got to leave, like Mm -hmm. you got a week to find somewhere new or whatever. Which is exactly what happened with that landlord when he found out that there was what, nine people living in the same uh, attic? I felt like all those people hiding. I was just going to say, I felt like all those people hiding them were kind of like the people that were hiding Anne Frank. Yes, I felt the same thing, too. And it does seem like they they have access to some degree to this network of people mm-hmm. who have done the same thing or who know somebody who's done the same thing who can sometimes help and sometimes can't, which is both a huge resource, but it's also like it's not a it's not foolproof. You it's know what not. I mean? They at, at any point they could reach out and not have anywhere to go. And what do you do? You've got three kids yeah well what the and i forgot the 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 character's name the one who starts stealing money from mauro and that's why they get into a brawl and because the last guy mm -hmm, he's staying with mm -hmm. that yeah oh yeah right you can't trust anybody yes you have this network but you never know if this network is really going to be trustworthy or not Mm -hmm. and you have no recourse if it's not no you don't what do you do where do you go yeah it's just, it's so sad. It's so sad. And this it's keeps hard. on happening. They're towards the end of these chapters. There's a line where Elena kind of, I i didn't write it down, so I don't have the exact quote, but she kind of starts to maybe regret the fact that she ever wanted more or thought she deserved mm-hmm. more. Um, and she refers to ambition as a kind of disease. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how heartbreaking. The idea of wanting more for your family. The idea of wanting to do better as a sickness. It's, yeah, dreams are a sickness. Something to dreams that effect. Dreams are yeah. a sickness. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Like, I just can't even imagine. I feel like, for especially for us three, all being, like, artists, like, my dreams are all that sustain me. Yeah. What do you do if you don't have a dream? But then again, there's that moment where she does come to the States and she had this dream of what the States would look like and what it would be. And immediately the reality sets in that it wasn't what she envisioned. It wasn't that. The, the dissolution. Yeah. It's yeah. not the beautiful cover. It's not. It's not what what she was told or it's not what she envisioned. And that's also yeah. very disheartening and heartbreaking. Yeah. And interestingly, where they end up, which is Houston, uh-huh. is exactly where I am right now. That's where my oh, family right. is. Oh, my gosh. When she's talking about the brown water of the Gulf, oh. like literally just this week, I'm visiting my family right now. <laughs> and literally just this week, my mom was like, oh, we should go to the beach at some point, whatever. And my husband is from San Diego, California. <laughs> so when he thinks of the beach, yeah. he's thinking of these beautiful beaches with this crisp blue water. And of course, having grown up here, I know Gulf water ain't blue. <laughs> Gulf water is brown, yeah. almost green. It's disgusting because it's trapped in the Gulf. Uh, so when she was describing that water, I was like, oh, I know that beach. My mom is trying to get me to go to that beach right now, and I'm not having it because it's not really a beach. Yeah. 
It's so funny. I actually thought about a, a lot about you, Brandy, because I'm like, oh my God, our worlds are intersecting because they ended right, up in, right, in right. Texas. Yeah. And when she's describing the velvety air, mm. that's the air here. It's so humid mm. that when you first move here, it's hard to breathe. Like you feel out of breath all the time. The air is so thick. When Ew. she described it as velvety, I was like, oh my God, that's the perfect word huh. for yeah. this thick humid air that we have here sounds great once you get used to it it's fine (laughs) but there is an adjustment period (laughs) but you're home so with your family and happy yeah for now yes (laughs) i will be headed back to new york to live my dream yes there you go to have dreams there you go Anybody have a final question? Final question. I do. Final question. <laughs> final question. Well, let's end this on a lighter <laughs> note, shall we? Okay. Yes, okay. <laughs> Always. Always. So Mauro and Elena snuck around quite a bit since Perla did not allow them to sleep in the same bed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when you ladies were younger... Let's say high school age, because we're still very young. Uh Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you manage to sneak around with your boyfriends without your parents ever finding out? Hmm? Well, I managed to sneak around without them finding out, but then also sometimes they found out. Um, (laughs) But there was this this one time when I was in high school, there's kind of like a makeout spot in my town that's like on a lake. It's kind of hard to get to. Um, and so we went there thinking we'll be alone. We can, you know, whatever, be alone. Even though so it's we're in the my... makeout spot. Even though it's the oh. makeout spot. But we were the only ones there. Oh. Uh, and we're in my car. And I was I was probably like 17 or something. But we're there making out, maybe a little more. And all of a sudden, I, I swear I didn't see any lights, no one coming. And this is like oh at night. It's in the darkness. God, but all of a sudden we get a tap. On our very steamy windows. Yeah. And we very quickly separate, you know, get arranged. And I roll down the window and it is a police officer being like, can I help you? Perfect. And I was like, no, sir, you cannot. Like, we were on our way out right now. And thank God he didn't call my parents or anything like that. But, uh, yeah, we drove off. (laughs) Very quickly <laughs> and never went back. <laughs> <laughs> That's annoying. Like, just let him. I know. Just let me go. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> well, sorry, mom, because I know you listened to this podcast. Oh. Um, but yes, I did <laughs> manage to sneak out and um, I my mom was always my dad was always like well asleep at that point but my mom is a night owl unfortunately and so there were a couple times I remember where she was up on the couch and I think she was just sparing me the embarrassment of saying anything but like she must have known mom you must have known wait like you'd come home and she'd be sitting there on the couch but like wouldn't say anything yeah. <laughs> she knew. Because the couch the wasn't like right in was front enough. of yeah. like, the front door. She yeah, the knew. silence was, was worse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. The silence is always worse. Yeah. yeah. Always worse. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and 
it's funny. My parents definitely don't follow tradition because I tried to sneak off. Like there's this one time that I tried to sneak off and I was like, you know what? I need a reference point. So I actually called my parents and said, hey, is there a good hotel nearby? Because I don't want to do it at oh, your house. Oh, <laughs> oh, you oh my God. Ask your parents that? I mean, they get... <laughs> time out. Follow up. Follow up question. Yeah. Did they tell you where to go? <laughs> they did. But I, but I, but I came home that same night to not make it that, that like they weren't going to just be like, just go and, and, and granted I was 18 at the time. So okay. Okay. Still. God, still. still. That's so scary. I was like being respectful that this is not going to happen in your house because while you're in the house and we need to get away somewhere. So yeah. But I love that you asked your parents, like where was Google when you were 18? Oh, Google wasn't a thing no. yet. No, cell phones oh. like that weren't a thing yet. We had no. flip phones, God. and it's and it was the first time I had done something like that because I would oh sneak around in the house or in the car. But this was like you know, this my was mom would have given me the name of a hotel, <laughs> and then she would have been there waiting for me. When I drove up. She's like, like, "Get your ass <laughs> get in the your car, ass back home." <laughs> mm, oh yep. my god! Yep. Well. All right, y'all. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm sweating. If you have an insight or a question you'd like to discuss on an episode, if you want to tell us where you got caught making out, shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener question segment. Listeners, we want to hear from you. Please let us know what you like or you don't like about our little pandemic passion project that could. (laughs) Simply... (laughs) That sentence almost couldn't, couldn't. <laughs> Simply leave us a DM, or better yet, a review. Go to Apple Podcasts and let us know how much you yeah. love us, three chicas. You love us. You come do. on. <laughs> next week, <laughs> next week we'll be reading to the end of chapter fifteen. Yeah. Stay yeah. tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out next week's cocktail and mocktail pairing, yeah. so that you can read along and sip along with us. Cause, Cause it's always happy hour. Here. Oh, okay. <laughs> Why not? Bye, Bye. Ladies. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. Bye. Bye.